0: Asking the right question is one of the most difficult things, and if we are really going to be in an AI-first world, the AI actually has to help us ask the right question.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Tricential's 1% Better podcast. Our mission is to make a positive impact on the life of anyone who interacts with Trisential. Over the past 20 years, we are humbled to have helped some of the most successful brands and organizations from around the world, and are excited to share incredible stories of improvement directly from our clients, partners, and employees. Our goal is that every podcast provides insights and learnings that lead to a mindset of growth, continuous improvement, and lasting value, both at a personal and professional level. One percent at a time, as small changes can lead to truly transformative results. Thanks for listening to 1% Better, and be sure to hit that like button. Hi, everyone. My name is Craig Thielen. I'm a principal and head of digital solutions for Tricential. In this episode, I have the distinct pleasure of speaking with Arjit Sengupta. And Arjit is the CEO of Able, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that. But a little bit of background on Arjit. Uh, He holds advanced degrees from both Stanford and Harvard in computer science and economics. I hear there's also a little bit of dancing in there somewhere, so maybe we'll get to that. He uh, was the founder and CEO of BeyondCore, which was acquired by Salesforce and eventually turned into Einstein Discovery and part of the Salesforce Einstein platform. He's been granted 24 patents. He's been featured in many magazines and New York Times, uh, Harvard Business Review, The Economist, and, and many others. He's an executive fellow at Harvard Business School, and he currently is the founder and CEO of ABLE, as I said, which is the Gartner Magic Quadrant number one auto machine learning platform. So really excited here, Arjit, to talk to you, and welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you. And by the way, we are not number one in AutoML anymore, which is fantastic because we think AutoML is just a tool. Right. Uh, what's important is solving the business problems. So.
1: Well, exactly. And sometimes it's it's better to be not number one because
0: then you can try even harder, right? No, it's it's interesting. It's like when you're building an iPad and nobody knows what an iPad is, it is easier to call you like, hey, they have this memory chip. They have this a touch screen. Because they don't even know what the iPad is, right? Right. What happened is, AutoML happens to be a small component of what we do. It was never what we did. As what we are doing becomes more and more clear, that's actually helping the customers understand that this truly is end-to-end, how do I get my business questions answered? as opposed to analytics, which is all about how do I get analytical questions answered.
1: Yeah, and I think we're gonna jump, that's a great point, we're gonna jump into sort of all the different segments. Anytime you categorize stuff, or you say someone's a number one, you put things in boxes and that's not how the world works. And so um, there's a number of topics, I think we're gonna sort of push the boundaries of traditional data and analytics. Just real quickly, how we met as we do a lot of work in the world of helping businesses improve and help organizations transform this notion of data centricity, which is Data is no longer a byproduct of what you do, but it is a core asset and and it is your products and services. It really leads you to thinking about data differently and data is a a tool for improvement. And I'm really curious to dig in with you. The whole name of this podcast is 1% Better and that 1% can be something you do consistently over and over to get to a, a, a great result. But in other ways, it could be just one insight or one piece of data or asking the question differently that might lead to some sort of breakthrough. We met because we do a lot of work with organizations trying to bring them some of the best thinking and one of those things is is your platform. So let's take a step back. First question I always ask is when you think about your, your whole career and you look back and you think about improvement, how do you you know, both on a personal and professional level, we're not really
0: sort of segregating those. How do you think about improvement just in general? Well, my fundamental focus has been on how do you take things that people can't do and give them the superpower so that they can do that. Right. One of my favorite things is Steve Jobs used to have this poster where he used to talk about the computer was the bicycle of the mind. And the whole point was that if you look at how far each animal can go, humans actually do pretty badly. We can't go that far. But once you give a human a bicycle, the human will go further than anyone else. Right. And that is a fundamental premise of, I think, technology. It's how do we give people superpower? How do we empower people? In fact, Abel's tagline has always been, I am able, because our premise was that we, every single individual, should be able to create and benefit from AI that serves their unique needs, because the market is going towards a world where the few make AI for the many, and the rest just consume AI, if you will. Whereas we believe it actually needs to be any and all of us should be able to create AI that serves our unique needs. You once said or wrote that AI is a waste of money. Tell us about that. I wrote a whole book on it, actually. One of the interesting things that I found, and I had done about a thousand AI projects at the time when I wrote that book, what I found was the things that businesses wanted to do and the things that AI helps you do are not the same. And this was a very important disconnect that people seem to have in the market so as a human being we never really say i want a more accurate model that's not your goal your goal was i want to increase my revenue i want to reduce my marketing spend i want to reduce inventory stock out what you always had was a business goal and a business objective and the ai was a tool in that so if you think about a sales situation Let's say your benefit of a sale is $100 and the cost of pursuing a customer who doesn't buy is $1. Do you want an accurate AI or do you want an aggressive AI? You want a very aggressive AI because, you know, you are willing to take 99 bad predictions to get that one correct prediction, right? Now, let's say I tell you that you can only take five sales costs. Now, you might want a very conservative AI. What happens is our cost-benefit trade-offs and our capacity constraints define what we need from the AI and the problem had been that people just always said give me the data and get out of my way when I create the AI and our premise was no the data doesn't have that information on the human needs the business needs the business constraints and without that information you can't create an AI that is useful so that was the basis of that book and that's just one of the various things in the book and eventually that led to ABLE because I couldn't find any solution in the market that actually started from what is the business goal? What is the business objective? What's the job to be done for this technology? As opposed to, hey, I, a, I got a great accurate model for you. Got it, all right.
1: Well, I need to track down that book and, uh, and read it. It sounds like a good one. So we can't go too far in this conversation without getting into, I'm going to go right to the, the hottest topic, there's a big debate going on in the world. Um, you and I have talked about this, I think, a couple times. I think it's even further exacerbated. It's been actually going on for a number of years, but the whole chat GPT phenomenon has really put a lot of gasoline on that fire. And the debate's around AI And so on one hand, we have those, and we've got a lot of big names that we don't need to name here that are falling on one side or the other, but AI is regarded as remarkable but potentially dangerous step forward in human affairs necessitating new and careful forms of governance. And so this is held by over a thousand people that signed a letter, lots of big names, academia, politics, tech industry, et cetera, that are calling for a six-month moratorium for training of certain systems. But yet at the same time, there's a whole nother camp and other big names have fallen on that side, and including the UK government, which decided that its country's principal aim should be to turbocharge innovation and the use of AI. And so lots of well-known, smart, educated people on both sides of the argument.
0: Where, Where does ours yet fall? Well, first, let's talk about what is actually happening here. Whenever we see a new technology, this debate always happens. It happened with the electricity. It happened with the railroad. There was some pretty nasty stuff going on in trying to prevent electricity from being adopted. But what we need to think through as society is what are our societal goals and what are our societal fears. And if we focus too much on the fears and we try to put guardrails from a place of fear, we're going to mess this up. If we put it from a perspective of, here are our societal goals. For example, we do not want an AI to negatively impact us based on our race, based on our gender. Those are very valid societal goals. Yeah, bias. There's a lot
1: of talk about, is there bias built in or being built in, or or it's,
0: it's being learned by these models? But notice one thing, I didn't go to the word bias, because the moment you go into bias, you're talking about a technological solution to a technological problem. That is not where we should be, because this technology is changing so fast, the moment you even accidentally tread into the domain of this is what the technology should look like, you've already harmed society. What we as society need to do is make our societal goals clear and then say, guys, figure out how you're going to solve that through technology. Like, for example, one of the things I wrote in my book is there is no way to avoid bias. Right. Like one of the things people talk about is, well, I, I changed my sample. I stratified my sample in such a way that there isn't any bias in my data. No, that's not true. You might have taken out gender bias, like the most trivial example is, I take out the gender variable, well, an AI will pick up job title as a proxy for gender. All you did is you hit the bias. You didn't actually eliminate the bias, right? So again, we are at a very important point in this technology. It is extremely important that we as society say, here are our societal red lines. But stay at the level of goals, never tread into the level of technology, because that's a big mistake, because this space is going to evolve so fast. If you're going to put straight jackets and constraints, it's going to be wrong. It's actually going to do more harm than good. If you make the goals clear, saying we want to get on top of that hill and we want to avoid that hill, then let people figure out how to get you to the hill you want to go to and avoid the hill you want to avoid. That. Actually, it's far more flexible, and that's where we should, we should go. So is a, it's another analogy I,
1: that I've heard before is, is prohibition. When we decided that alcohol should be banned, we, we stopped one problem, and then we created maybe 10 other problems with all sort of you know, bootlegging and all sorts of illegal groups, the mob, the mafia, all these groups that were sort of doing this illegally. So is there some alignment there in terms of, like, if you try to stop one thing, it's going to rear its head in
0: many other areas that you didn't anticipate? It's way worse than that. That's like, because understand this, the impact AI will have on society is far greater than the impact. Right. And AI is infinitely at scale. This is a very important thing for people to understand. The cool part of AI and the scary part of AI is that every other technology that we have ever had has always had a human in that adoption curve. If a human didn't adopt, if a human took too long, then that AI didn't go and exist overnight, right? AI can truly be instantly at scale. You could technically create an AI, plug it into your CRM system, and every single salesperson in your company, five minutes later, is getting affected, right? So AI is the first technology that we have ever experienced that can go infinitely at scale, and with mm-hmm. that comes great responsibility. And this kind of reactive, hey, let's put a moratorium, let's not do this kind of AI, let's do that kind of AI, it's just misguided because you're just going to have a lot of law of unintended consequences coming into play at a far greater scale than prohibition ever was. So go back to your statement. You said we need to make societal goals clear. Is that possible or how would we do that? We do that all the time. If you think about OSHA, what do we say? We go in and say, Do not, these are the kind of harms to your workers that we are not going to accept. But, that, but OSHA is a, a form of governance, it's a form of control, it's a form of regulation, right? But that is fine because what I'm saying is you can go in and say, These things are not acceptable to us as society. But don't tell people how to achieve those goals, right? I would have had a problem with OSHA, like there are actually there are like if, to be very honest, putting up the stupid poster in the, in right. the kitchen, right. stuff like that. That last part of it becomes kind of silly, where people say, "Well, if I do it, I will probably be in compliance with OSHA." But fundamentally, what the the law says is these are the things that you should not do. You should not harm, like your employees should not be harmed. They should not um, face situations that will cause them to have injuries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Over time, we have created some heuristics and these things are, if you do them, you're probably not going to be a foul of law, but laws that are written in terms of this is why we have the law. This is our societal goal. And as long as you, as you achieve that societal goal, we are good, right? You have full flexibility in how to achieve it. That, those are the kind of laws that have always okay. defined America compared to the rest of the world. So I, I believe that the,
1: the White House is currently working on uh, an AI Bill of Rights. Is that the kind of sort of principle-based or value-based guidance that you think is useful, or is that just politics?
0: No, unfortunately, that Bill of Rights uh, has a lot to be desired. Like one of the easy things you can do is do a word count on how many times they talk about AI's potential and how many times they talk about AI's problems. That Bill of Rights is a very dark place of fear. Okay. And what is funny is, if you look at the Chinese government's uh, law, it is also from a dark place of fear. If you look at the French law, like the European law, it's from a place of fear. But here's the funny thing all three societies have different kinds of fear. So the Chinese law is worried about social cohesion, social principles. The French, uh, the European one is much more focused on data privacy and individual rights. The American one is more worried about gender rights and racial rights. But what we're missing at this moment in time is start from this incredible power of AI to do good. Why are you thinking just about how AI can cause racial bias? You can have principles of racial equality being enforced by AI much more easily than any other technology. You could have principles of gender equality or any kind of principles of equality you want to have in general. You can enforce it using AI. You can encourage it using AI to a great extent. Why are we not talking about the potential for AI for good as opposed to just being afraid of how AI can do harm?
1: Well, I think that's the argument of the one side of the debate. I guess the question I would have for you is, do you see any meaningful, practical progress being made to define how do we guide it for the use of
0: good and provide those sort of principles? Is there any place that that's starting to form? So Chatable, the thing we just announced a few weeks back, is a perfect example of that. So when Generative AI first came out, there are three things that people are really worried about. They're worried about data privacy. They're worried about hallucinations where the thing makes up stuff. They were worried about how do we actually deal with things like data residency. So Italy went in and banned ChatGPT uh, how do I make sure my data doesn't leave my borders? What we did is we went and worked with Fortune 100 customers, understanding what their problems were, what their concerns were. And then with ChatGPT, uh, so with ChatAble instead of ChatGPT, what we did is we are using GPT-4, but we are using it in a way that the customer data never moves from where it originally was, so you comply with data residency. You actually are dealing with data security and data privacy. We only pass what's called k-anonymized masked data to GPT-4. So you're not uh, taking privacy risk. And we have explainable AI double check the generative AI, which is not explainable. So you're using technology at scale to solve the problem of hallucination. But notice all three of these are technological solutions to fundamental problems with generative AI. And these problems were identified and dealt with by bringing enterprise customers and technologists, entrepreneurs together to solve problems at scale. And by the way, that is the American way. That's the reason I came to America is that the American way has always been, let's solve the problems through innovation rather than let's get, instead of being afraid and getting frozen America has always said, I'm going to go act on this and I'm going to solve this because we know how to figure our way out through that, right? And India has a similar concept called Jogar, which is the idea of like, if you don't have something that solves the problem, just put stuff together and solve it, right? But I think that is what is common to the American way of doing things and the Indian way of doing things, which was, let's just go solve the problem. Yes, there will be many, many, many problems that seem insurmountable, if we work together, we can solve it. And that's the that's kind of the belief system that I think is necessary in the world of AI. So
1: if I had to restate that, is it your belief is, hey, let the best solution win in terms of the best, quote unquote, unbiased or that it's observable or that doing it in a way that can transparent and do it for good. And that will win out over the, the other alternatives that are maybe in a black box and you don't know what it's uncontrolled or it, it, it doesn't have some of the same principles that you're applying, in your case, to Chad Able. Is that kind of the thinking, is just let the best solution win versus
0: government yeah, control of it? Firstly, definitely not government control of it because government right. has done a bad job of trying to regulate technology in it. I think what I'm saying is take this as an example. What we did is we brought customers together to say, what are your societal goals? Right. We got customers in a room and we said, what are the things you're we afraid about? And they actually had very legitimate concerns because they want to protect their users data. One of the customers was really worried that people were literally copying proprietary information into chat GPT. Into right. The right. So. We listened to their concerns and their concerns were legitimate. And then we turned around and we said, how do we technologically solve this at scale? What you notice there is if you just take that model to country level, there's nothing wrong with that because our customers didn't come in and tell us, this is how you will technologically solve the problem. They said, this is the job your technology needs to do. Now you go show me that your technology can do the job. And that's the first step. First step is understanding what is the job that the AI needs to do. And the second step is let the entrepreneurs and the technologists go prove that the technology can do the job. Instead, what we are doing is we are combining the two steps together and we're saying, hey, government should tell us what technology we can build or not. Government should tell us our societal goals. Here is the job AI needs to do.
1: Right. I think it goes back to one of the things that I've heard you say many times is that you got to ask the right questions, right? Talk a little bit about that, and then, Arjun, maybe think about getting back to this theme of improvement and how we can use AI as an improvement tool for an organization or society in general. What stories do you have where an organization used it and, and really got transformational results
0: or you know, some story that comes to mind? I'd love to hear that. Well, let's start with the first question, which is, yeah. what is the right question to ask? I don't know whether you ever read the original genie stories. Like I'm talking the Arabian Nights genie stories, not the Aladdin uh, genie stories. Right. The thematic element always would be that this poor human would ask the wrong wish. Oh, right. You get three wishes. They would get into a really bad situation. And then by the end of it, hopefully they get themselves back out. But quite often they would end up in a worse case than this. Well, usually
1: the third question just got you back to where you started. Cause you dug your, your whole soul deep. <laughs>
0: If you were lucky, right, sometimes it was worse, right? But what is fascinating about something like GPT is that it's only as good as the question you ask. You have to ask that first question. And if you asked a biased question, uh, if you go in and say, hey, give me Craig's Nobel Prize acceptance speech, GPT will happily write you the Nobel Prize acceptance speech you gave, right? So if your question is wrong, you're going to get the wrong answer. So one of the fundamental things that we did is, and my, as a kid, I used to always think that if I ever got a, a genie, my first question to the genie would be, knowing everything you know, can you tell me the, what my next two wishes should be, right? My first <laughs> wish would be, like, kind of knowing everything you ever know about me and knowing everything you know about how the wishes world work and the world works, can you tell me what my next two wishes should be? And we did something similar with ChatGPT. We said, well, why don't we have a very powerful AI, explainable AI, look at millions of possibilities in the data, figure out what are the best questions to ask of the data, and then have use generative AI like GPT, summarize it back to the user. So think of it as the first step in the question asking experience is a summary of your data that actually guides you towards the best questions to ask. So. Asking the right question is one of the most difficult things. And if we are really going to be in an AI-first world, the AI actually has to help us ask the right question. And I think you're going to see more and more of this because if we are taking this enormous cosmic power of generative AI and putting it behind the human ability to ask a question, we are massively constraining it. Now, in terms of customer stories where they got to success, we have published about 25 of these. In fact, a couple of them with Pricential, if I remember correctly, where we went into customers and got customers to value in 30 days. And that exists across, take your pick, sales, marketing, logistics. uh, Take your pick, um, delivering 10% improvement in 30 days in many cases, sometimes more, creating millions of dollars of value in 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 a few weeks. But getting to value from AI actually isn't that hard. The main advice I would give people is take a metric that you really care about. And then just get started, but set a short-term goal, like basically say, in 30 days, I want to see how well we can do. What you don't want to do is get into a nine-month AI project with a low probability of success. If you can't go in and take something as powerful as an automated AI system nowadays and create at least 10% of value in a few weeks, you're not going to create that much value in six months either. So either the data is there, either the business process is improvable, or it's not. If it is, you will know that you have improvement potential in the first 30 days, and then you iterate and improve, iterate and improve, right? I'm not saying that the best possible results will come in 30 days. What I'm saying is, in 30 days, you can go find a very positive ROI project, and then you keep iterating and improving, it back to your 1% point. Like you don't have to get to a 30% improvement on day one, but if you have shown that you can create value and you can constantly iterate, you get to 30% over a short period of time.
1: Yeah, and I can attest to that. I would say one of the reasons that, that we work so closely with you and your your organization is that we work with a lot of large organizations that we're trying to help them understand what's what's possible with data. Not in the old frame you know, of the data-driven and use data and gather it and segment it and report on it and visualize it and do all the stuff that we do just to sort of make day-to-day decisions, but what is possible? And one of those spaces is we talk a lot about data literacy. We got to get the whole organization from the board to the C suite down to everyone really understanding the new modern sort of what a data centric or what's possible and one of the things that we appreciate about able is that we want to get their hands on it. it's one thing to have a theory and frankly machine learning's been around for 30 plus years so it's not a new concept but you know some of the technologies have all converged together that allow it like chap gpt as an example didn't exist you know in anyone's hands you know two or three years ago and so one of the things that we try to do is say you don't have to sort of commit to a year or two year or three or buy a whole boatload of license in 30 days. Like every engagement we start with 30 days or less and we, we load some data and we say, here's a bunch of predictive insights. Now, what do you think? Do these add value? Do these solve the problem? how much value, and in every case, it's not a shortage of the insights, and it's a great opportunity for people to learn very quickly. So, again, just to reiterate your point there, a lot of people don't know that. You can, you can do this stuff in literally a matter of hours and get insights with data that, I mean, most people wouldn't even have thought that's possible, or without spending X millions of dollars to get
0: there, right? Well, on that point, uh, last month at the Gartner Data and Analytics Summit, we had United Health Group, Cisco, and New York City Hospitals right. present. And every one of them talked about how they looked at millions of variable combinations, think of it as millions of questions you can ask of your data, being conducted in a matter of minutes completely automatically for, I think the highest dollar number was like $100 or something. So like people were doing 75 data sets across hundreds of millions of variable combination for sub $100. So the compute cost, the, the power of these systems, the time to results, They've changed so much over the last few years that I think if, if you have not updated your mind about what is going on in the market, you should. Now, one other thing I would add to that is we just announced GPT at Gartner and we started giving access a week back. And in the first week, 100 companies signed up for GPT. And, and, and by the way, sorry, no, 100 didn't sign up. 100 activated the ChatAble account. They used it, yeah. Uh, so 100 companies actually went in and put that effort to go in and start using Chatevo. I was not expecting 100 companies to use it in their first year. Right. That's pretty good, yeah. Right? And by the way, these included several of the Fortune 100, many of the Fortune 500, top retailers, top manufacturers, etc. Now, what is changing, though, is if you think about what Analytics did, is we had to go from a business question that the business user had in their mind, like how do I sell to young people? And somehow a human had to translate that to a bunch of analytical questions. Which channel is liked by young people? Which products are liked by young people, et cetera, et cetera. And then you ask the questions of the data, and then you have to assemble the answers of those analytical questions back to a slide deck that is the answer to the business question, right? Mm -hmm. So everything in analytics has really been about translating from a business question to a bunch of analytical questions, back from a bunch of analytical answers to business answers. And what generative AI plus these scalable, automatically generated information models can do is translate from that business question to the analytical questions, ask millions of analytical questions automatically at low cost, translate back the answers to a business answer. This is the first time we have ever had technology that could do the whole thing if you think right. about if you think about excel they are alters they were all tools that help you translate from an analytical question to an analytical answer nobody has before this moment in time had something that could go from a business question back to a business answer completely automatically
1: right uh, you're right that is a big deal well uh, this time like i expected has flown by but i want to By the way, just going back to chat, Abel, I believe that you've said that that's um, a publicly available link. So we can uh, definitely provide that in our show notes and and make access. I think everyone should be doing that and testing that out. Um, And it's waiting
0: until May 1st, so this is the best time to use it because you get to use it for free. So go for
1: it. Everyone likes free, right? So last question that everybody gets, so put all the sort of the ABLE and the AI to the side for a second. If you could share one idea about a lesson that you've learned over your career or an idea about growth mindset or improvement and you were sitting with your your grandchild
0: or you're sitting with your 20-year-old self or yourself, what would that be? Don't listen to people when they tell you something is impossible. I come from a very humble background in India. I remember when I was applying to Stanford, the United States Educational Foundation in India person told me, you should apply to University of Hawaii because there's no way you're getting into Stanford. It's very hard and I, I was not a rich person, so I needed a full scholarship. And if I had listened to her, I wouldn't have never even applied to Stanford. Right? The people are very quick to tell you what is impossible. Yeah. Don't listen. When I started Beyond Core, we had a top professor at one of the top universities in the country saying, that's impossible. The word impossible has lost all meaning given how many times I've heard that word impossible in my career.
1: Yeah, if you think about, it's very profound and very, you know, I always like simple truths, and it's very simple, but it, but it's true. If you look at any major innovation or breakthrough or discovery in the past thousand years, or as far back as you want to go, there was always preceding that, decades upon decades, in some cases hundreds of years of naysayers saying that's wrong, that's impossible. You know, all the stuff Einstein did, and all the stuff, many
0: breakthroughs. There was always the people, the the naysayers, right? possible to trivial once you've done it the, like i still remember the first time somebody told me Bianca was obvious i was like great that means we finally broke through right. no it, as it wasn't
1: so obvious when you had the idea to start it right well hey i, I want to just thank you for your time uh, we'll get you on um, it's incredibly timely uh, to talk with you it's always good to talk with you and uh, maybe we can have you on the show sometime in the near future look forward to it it's fun to collaborate with you guys thank you all right thanks arjun Thanks for listening to the 1% Better podcast. We hope you found it insightful and useful for your improvement journey. As always, you can access podcast transcripts and links to reference material at tricentral.com forward podcast. If you would like to be a guest on 1% Better, you can do it on the same site. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please like, share, or rate our podcast. Until the next episode, here's to getting 1% better every day.